Exit for Podcast Mutants, Magic, and Marvels is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things media, check out cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And for all things X's for Podcast, check out X's for Podcast on Twitter and YouTube. Welcome back to another all-new Exodus for Podcast, a show where we take a look at comics, mutants, magic, and marvels week after week through their many monthly titles. I'm Nico, and you guys can check me out on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. It's another Magic Monday here on X, and we're going to be taking a look at three different Mystic Marvel titles. Kicking things off is going to be Death of Doctor Strange number 5, before a bit of trade waiting where we take a look at Beta Ray Bill, Argent Star 1 through 5, a 2021 miniseries featuring the titular Corbinite, which never should have gone uncovered on this show, and closing things out with another incredible Marvel Infinity comic, this time Year of the Wong, celebrating the Lunar New Year. But first up, Death of Doctor Strange number 5 sees our dedicated team finishing out their coverage on this amazing title, which we have so very enjoyed covering. And if you guys like what you hear, you might even like what you see, so don't forget to give us a subscribe over on Twitter at X's for Podcast. <music> Hello and welcome back to Access for Podcast, where we talk about mutants, magic, and marvels through their many monthly titles. And today we're working on the magic side, talking about Death of Doctor Strange. It's me, Steve, and you can find me on Twitter at HowdyDuda. That's H-O-W-D-Y-D-U-D-A. And today I'm joined by... Hey, it's Kyle. Uh, you can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82. That's D-R-A-N-T-I-S-8-2. And hey, I'm Raven, aka Dame Red Bento, and you can find me on instagram and twitter usually drawing wildly inappropriate dominatrix clowns you know that kind of thing <laughs> yeah the, the clown fetish i don't know how to follow that and hey here's with us nathan <laughs> i guess that means i'm nathan i don't draw amazingly awesome dominatrix outfit on people because that would be awesome but you can find me online at uh, dazzler aoa at twitter and instagram that's dazzler aoa at twitter and instagram and we hope you've survived this experience unlike concilius and Doctor Strange? If you're on Twitter and Instagram, go and check out Dame Red Bento's stuff. Oh, it yeah, is really good. So good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the Twitter is the more inappropriate stuff that would get me kicked off of Instagram. And, and that's what you all want to see. Right. <laughs> So today we're here to talk about the finale of Death of Doctor Strange. We finally reached the end of this very weird and very cool miniseries. Yay. Credited as writer, we have Jed McKay, artist Lee Garbett, colorist Antonio Fabella, and lettering, we have VCs Corey Pettit. Chapter 11, Physician, Heal Thyself. We open this issue exactly at the end of the last issue with the murder mystery revealed. Caecilius is the bad guy. Who knew? Who expected? Absolutely nobody thought he had it in him. <laughs> he radiates incel energy. Come on. Like, I can't believe he won't like... give me the power supreme. I'm going to take it myself. <laughs> Classically insecure villain. Um, inferiority complex a must. We have the wrap up of the aftermath of finding out that he was the one who did it and how we deal with him. And we need to also bring to a close the ancillary but also really interesting plot line of the three mothers and their peregrine child that eats magic. So um, creepy. Such <laughs> a creepy baby. Like it's a baby with a handlebar mustache. What the hell? It's like if a Watu and Modok had a baby. <laughs> 
Like, that's what it looks like. <laughs> but, like, it was a Shuma, maybe it was Shuma Grath. How does everybody feel about Death of Doctor Strange now that we've reached its conclusion? I absolutely okay. believe this series is, like, this arc, this whole entire run is definitely a must-read, and I can't wait till it comes out in trade. Uh, same. This has been such an amazing journey. Like, even the tie-in issues have really, like, struck me in a, in a way that I didn't expect. Like, it's strange that a arc that kills off Stephen Strange is going to make me actually kind of halfway like Stephen Strange when I hated Stephen Strange before. Same. Yeah, you are all here. You will come around. <laughs> hey, he is not the Sorcerer Supreme of my heart. That's Amanda Sefton, but that's another story. I found myself really, really fascinated by the main title as well as the tie-ins. I really enjoyed seeing characters that I don't normally see because I mostly stay in the X-Men side of things. So it's it's been it's been nice. Some of the stories have been a little weird, but they've been enjoyable. And seeing them tie everything together, showing us how much Stephen Strange has been affecting the rest of the Marvel Universe just by kind of existing and doing his own thing while nobody else really knows what's happening and later having to pick up all the pieces. It's been a really fun journey. You hit the nail on the head there when you said it showcases just how important Stephen Strange to the Marvel Universe just by existing. I don't think I can think of another comic series or event that has so effectively driven home the underpinning of the Marvel Universe in such a way. Like, Stephen Strange is, we always knew he was important, he's the Sorcerer Supreme, but the mere fact of him not existing has thrown entire magical realms and the entirety of the globe into magical chaos in a way that is palpable in all of the tie-ins, and I think that is so well done and so cool. Also, I would love to hear, Kyle, what you think is the weirdest of the stories, because I bet that's gonna be fun. Oh, geez. Um, crap. <laughs> Really? Which storyline was that? Spot, right? it's like... I, oh, no, you put me on the... I haven't gone back and reread <laughs> them because I haven't been on those books. I was really, really intrigued by the X-Men Black Knight one where the X-Men were completely transfigured. That, that one was like, whoa, that's really cool and weird. And it's, it's not something that I'm used to seeing happen to the X-Men. I hope that gets referenced in Legion of X. I think that would be a lot of fun. <laughs> I don't know. I hope so too. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, that'd be amazing. I I really liked the uh, the White Fox issue. Yes, um, me too. It, oh my goodness, it was so well oh, done, God. and it like oh the artwork was delicious. I can just go on for honestly for ages about how much I love the artwork, but also it, it introduced me to a lot of characters that I wouldn't necessarily otherwise have ran into with my normal reading, and it opened me up to a whole new world of like magic and and superheroes that I didn't know existed, but I really want to see more of now and i think it did it in such a deliciously wonderful way i completely agree with all that the white fox was maybe my favorite of the tie-ins uh that blade which is just such a good blade story that i want to get a whole ongoing spinning out of it nathan how did you feel make me pick a favorite child why don't you these stories were also good like the, i can't like okay nobody has said the spider-man issue which i oh. love all the other ones but that spider-man issue mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. i love the interplay of obviously between ben riley and felicia hardy 
And like nothing has ever made me like Stephen Strange more than seeing the fact that he goes to randomly visit the cleaner at an office on her really rough days and be there and give her a pretzel. Like, don't make me like Stephen Strange. No, <laughs> that was the sweetest thing ever. I really appreciated that issue. That is the Stephen Strange that I feel like I know so well from the Jason Aaron Chris Machado Runch. I cannot stop talking about on this podcast. But like that's the Stephen Strange that I that I'm like, yeah, he's so good, right? Like, cause the old Stephen Strange, that guy died in Secret Wars. <laughs> that guy died before <laughs> the end of Secret Wars. <laughs> We've seen a Stephen Strange since 2015 who has been, he has a lot, a lot of heart beyond just being like an egotistical savior figure for a lot of people. He's still that guy, but he's got other stuff going on too. And I love that we're continuing to get to see that guy. We open the issue with the confrontation with Caecilius and everybody else being like, I'm going to get the fuck out. We get this really cool page with Wong trying a spell of binding that will keep everybody there, all the Sorcerer Supremes, because he's using the combined power of all these other earth magicians and nathan pointed this out to me because i wasn't paying much attention to it when we first read through but there's a lot of people here that we've seen who are previous sorcerer supremes or possible sorcerer supremes basically we have jericho and then we have shaman right next to him dr doom and steve who was i believe that's all medical mystical okay. and then the russian guy next to me when i saw it i thought it was puck <laughs> so i was like oh what is how is puck a magic user <laughs> Callisto, apparently. Maybe Jennifer Kale. Oh, I'm drawing a blank on her. Yeah, I have no idea, but we're just going to call her Callisto, then that's wrong. There's Talisman, and I cannot figure, so I can't figure out, I don't know who the eyepatch lady is, and I don't know who the hooded lady in the Talisman. And there's a guy who looks like Quicksilver, but who probably cannot be Quicksilver. Maybe that's Damon Hellstrom. I don't know. Oh, like, that makes ball. sense. Yeah, that would make sense. But who was one of the Lady Santana then? Mm, no, there's no horns. And that guy has hair. I, that's Quicksilver. I mean, I'm looking at right at him. <laughs> <laughs> Pietro Magikoff. Yeah, nice one. I'm surprised Wanda's not here. Yeah, oh, unless well, this happened I mean, before. Unless I think... this is happening concurrently with yeah. uh, Trial of Magneto. I think I think so. Time. Maybe okay. McKay's notes just said Maximoff and Pietro got thrown instead of Wanda. <laughs> <laughs> Which one? I don't know. Whichever one's available. God. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I don't know if any of you know who the other two. I think I believe the hooded lady shows up in Sorcerer's Supreme. And I don't know. Quicksilver could be like Newton and the eye patch person. I, I cannot place it. But... Callisto. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's... it's settled then. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. Oh my goodness. So we get through that. We get into the whole ma magical battle of it all with Ilyana and Clea. And it, it's a lot of zapping and a lot of kind of classic back and forth. This itself wasn't as interesting to me as what the fuck happens right at the end of it. This was like, the, this was the craziest thing to me. This blew my fucking mind. I like, I cannot believe it happened. I was not expecting it at all. I mean, what, what in the world? <laughs> he cast a healing spell? <laughs> That was the craziest thing. Oh my god. I was like, ah! And to like take over his body by healing his hands. That's fucking inspired. Now we know why it was pointed out very specifically earlier that it took his hands, within which are contained his soul and magical powers. I, that, that really tears it that his soul was in there. This is the this is the craziest, most gruesome fucking thing I've ever seen Doctor Strange do in a long while. And like... I love when Caecilius is literally yelling, this is inhuman, Strange, as he realizes Strange is about to overwrite his body with his soul. <laughs> and Strange's answer here is so fucked up, where he's like, I am the master of black magic, Caecilius. I am inhuman when it's required. Perhaps in time I will grow to be kinder, more merciful. In fact, I believe that I do, but that <laughs> <laughs> murdered. Yes. Wild. 
so good. Stone cold killer. And all, I just love the look on all the other, you know, Sorcerer Supreme standing there going, God damn, dude. <laughs> and then, but, well, I mean, huh. I mean, when you see the reveal. <laughs> still like part of my brain is like i'm sure that they're going oh my god dr strange what the fuck steven (laughs) (laughs) like uh that was hot (laughs) (laughs) kaecilius is dead and dr strange is uh inhabiting his corpse like proteus and charles xavier's husk no 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 he regenerated the whole body yeah he used kaecilius's body as resources to build his own body back yeah Mm -hmm. potato potato that's like compost (laughs) 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 yeah but i mean it's kind of fair i yeah i don't disagree i think kaecilius can go away forever that is completely cool with me i love that this is how we get resurrected (laughs) in the body of an old enemy with with the body of the old enemy as raw materials oh man it's the craziest craziest magic shit ever like it's like it's straight out of a soap opera and i fucking love it (laughs) oh god he'd be wearing that dude's underwear ah ah oh not a good thing not a good thing Ah. (laughs) he just magically transformed him and i don't know if castellis's underwear is any worse than strange's underwear there's no come on did you see that dude (laughs) okay but don't make me make a case for (laughs) castellis why not he comes back so pretty too yeah, I was gonna say hot, hot Doctor Strange comes back in Cassilius's body, so that's really wonderful. Yeah, you, you, you gotta love like that pose. My pants yeah. <laughs> gotta love that pose right there it's so cheesecake yeah it, it is it is a really fashionable pose i love i love it i love the raised arms i love the curved knees it's really good right oh he's feeling he's in his his hot strange summer so like hey let him be. like okay like hey he's hot. The he's got it's it. the hot strange winter like, he, he quit and quieted himself came back a little bit hotter than before so it's allowed yeah and because because the x-men are hot shit right now and always they are on the next splash page as we turn into the Battle of Antarctica, where they're joined by the Avengers and Namor. Mm, 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 yeah. Fish. Okay, fine. Fish <laughs> sticks is there. No. Woo. No. no reason. Just Namor. I, I didn't even notice him. Did, I try not to notice him. Who did Namor come here with? Did he swim all on his own and then just happen to meet up? Probably. Oh my god. I love how Rogue had more to do here in that one panel than she did the last issue of X-Men. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Uh, frozen fish sticks because they're in antarctica oh god that just hit my brain sorry (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it's really nice to see them all fighting these like all-powerful magical energies captain america hitting it with a shield you know like i love that he tries he's wonderful i love that wolverine is dead set on just decapitating that crowned mother Okay. okay there is one weird thing that you can kind of tell that this is a current story because starbrand the top right of that splash page on page 12 of digital is the older the current form of star brand which is her older not kid form but like maybe like teen it's a little bit like a story out of v which is the tv mm. series which is crazy so she's the star child but anyway she is uh still not in uh avengers issues on marvel unlimited so she's extremely current <laughs> oh hey i just realized that uh echo is there with her phoenix form going on oh yeah look at yep, that you know in the back there too okay. i assume she came with the avengers but honestly that could be a toss-up too well, she hangs out at Avengers Mountain now with Starbrand, doesn't she now? And she's going to have more time now that Starbrand's not a baby, and I guess they were making her look after her. I don't know what they were making Maya do. They were just making her hang out there for some reason, because they're like, Phoenix bad, no. Phoenix bad, here, take care of this baby. What the fuck? 
Wait, are there technically two eyes of Agumoto? There's ghost eye of Agumoto, and then there's like Doctor Strange's reformed Atticaisilis' body version? Or did he just finally like put that out? No, because he had the great sweatpants. He didn't have that. <laughs> he, did, he didn't have great sweatpants. So he, got, he got the eye of Agumoto and the cape of vegetation back from Mordo when they went to his castle. <laughs> oh, okay, 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 okay. So wait, wait, hold on. He wasn't in this outfit. He was in his great sweatpants. He was in a totally different outfit. So he did a costume change. And now, yeah, there are two eyes of Agumoto, but it's a ghost eye of Agumoto. Uh, that's really fun. After that, it's basically just uh, a lot of ghost decorations. Doctor Strange being like, I'm I'm ready to go. I know what's happening. I came here to die. You know what the deal is at himself, which is kind of funny because like, I feel like often past Doctor Strange ends up seeming more intelligent than modern Doctor Strange, even if modern Doctor Strange is vastly kinder. Well, I, I think Down. past Doctor Strange always wanted to show off how much he knew. Mm-hmm. So it was constantly like, oh, I know all these things. and like giving you more information than you honestly needed. He's like, oh, I'm a doctor and mm-hmm. I'm a magician mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah i think i think just you know future dr strange aka present day Moth dr strange doesn't need to kind of show off that much so yeah he just like he's, uh-huh uh-huh oh my god i'm insufferable strange, right but like confident in like more of a like sexy way instead of like the confident like the cocky but it was fake confidence way he was before is that what you're saying yeah so basically the very insecure needs to over share is is trying to show off how uh, amazing and cool he is is the very arrogant doctor strange whereas the modern day has lived a lot more and done a lot more and i mean he's also having he just got resurrected and he and he knows that he's facing his own death yes and he says exactly that on the uh in the middle of the battle with the three mothers where he says mm-hmm. you know i live again but i know too well what my arrogant younger self is not there is always a price classic mm-hmm. words i probably never need to hear again in a doctor strange comic but i'm not mad about it <laughs> <laughs> is it the Twilight Sword of Doctor Strange? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is the Twilight Sword of Doctor Strange. It's the everything dies of Doctor Strange, really. But he knows that there's a price of coming back to life, and he knows that death is a miser. I'm impressed how everybody's actually holding their own against those three mothers, because the first time, they got wiped across the floor. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, that's right. And Tony had the PTSD from having the mm-hmm. worms, right? Oh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's like, they're in the suit, they're in the suit, they're in the suit. And I'm like, yeah. But that, so. that's because they didn't have Laura with them before. She's taken on that one. And then Worm is thankfully trying to devour Namor, it looks like. <laughs> and then, Worms versus fish. Who will win? Worms versus fish? Oh my God, I didn't even think of that. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Namor. They're going to try to reel him in. It's but like, then, uh, fool me three times. Shame on. <laughs> I hope that when Namor gets sucked in by the worms, he goes, Do you like seafood? Seafood! Oh, punches him to death. <laughs> oh my god. Oh. <laughs> but then you've got, and then you've got like Starbrand and Phoenix, like the big guns fighting like Baby Watcher Modok, Shurma Karogath, whatever. The, the Paragon Child? <laughs> yes! <laughs> That's who it is. And the only reason I could remember that is because Paragon is a type of falcon, but this thing doesn't have wings, and my brain cannot resolve that for some reason. It's like, where are the wings? You said you're the Peregrine child. Wing where are the freaking wings? I can't let this go past. This is another point that does is not really translatable to the audio medium, but the version of the comic book that I picked up with the cover uh, is an old redo of a of a Fantastic Four issue featuring Pace Pot Pete and the Wingless Wizard. And I just need to again point out how 
fucking hilarious it is to me every single time I read that guy's name. Like the wingless wizard, you know, the wizard who doesn't have wings, like wizards always do. <laughs> I've ever seen a wizard with wings. <laughs> well, this one doesn't have wings, and you need to know. Actually, I you know I misspoke earlier. Thor is actually here present. At least he is in this part of the battle. There's some strange choices with the art. I mean, Sunfire is here, but he appears to be Sunfire from the death of Doctor Strange, X Men, Black Knight. Yeah, that is a really interesting choice. That's a strange one. I don't know if that's a mistake or if that's not Sunfire. It looks like it's Sunfire, but he looks very much different than he usually does in like black with like horns. Battle is great though because it looks like the X Men and the Avengers are holding their own and. As, as difficult as these enemies are, I can believe that the Avengers with the X-Men could, you know, stand toe-to-toe with them. But ultimately, mm-hmm. they're fa- fighting a battle they believe is going to kill them. And they do, mm-hmm. in the end, need some sorcery. So we get, like, a cool pentel. Yeah, and I do love how we get the event team, right? Like, I love the idea of an event team. Hell yeah. I'm just looking at the art, because, like, the more I look, the more, like, little details I see and, mm-hmm. and little Easter eggs and whatnot. I'm like, Point them out. I just, I just, like, <laughs> all I can think is, I think they're attacking in the wrong way in, in some ways like scott and laura should yeah definitely be going toe-to-toe with the crowned mother um but i think they need some physical heavy hitters to get the one that likes to do the redirects because she's frail up close but she can redirect most incoming you know energy blasts and whatnot and then at least one person who has firepower should be going up against the worm mother that way they can burn down the minions that you know compose yeah compose her body and she yeah she does a couple shots but i'm saying get sunfire in there to engulf that mother oh, and okay. just burn her down so that that little weeping angel head toddles off <laughs> <laughs> weeping angel yeah and oh, it, is. It, it is it's so creepy it is absolutely a weeping angel, Such a weeping angel head. also uh you're with regards to the weird the one that redirects attacks like unfortunately we do see gene gray get took out by a fucking telepath yep. oh i thought okay, she had blood blood sugar. like i love her <laughs> <laughs> she didn't just faint I, she <laughs> didn't <laughs> faint, but she's all but yelling like Scott! <laughs> oh god, I can't get that out of my head. <laughs> no, they have they have some awesome they had some really really awesome fighting going on and mm-hmm. yes it was an absolutely wonderful delaying tactic because I could see it working for a short while not forever but for a short while before our good old Doctor Strange comes in like some fucked up mystic butterfly he does <laughs> look like a butterfly I was just thinking about that I was tell me I'm wrong for some oh, reason yeah. that I'm mis- well yeah, I thought like it was significant because it's like a it's a transformation mm-hmm. yeah no I thought it was uh, kind of like a morphosis yeah, because I mean, he did literally metamorphosize from somebody else's body. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that is yeah. a good point. Just saying, just saying. He's Psylocke Strange or Betsy Strange. Oh no. my god, no, Betsy and Doctor Strange together, no. <laughs> but I love all the Sorcerer Supremes that we get to see. Like yes. what we get, so Earth, and then we get of the sixth dimension Tiboro, Ileana Rasputin, Sorcerer Supreme of Limbo. She knows how to get down. Um, so yeah, the Sorcerer Supreme of the Dark Dimension and Agamon, the Sorcerer Supreme of the Purple Dimension. That's quite a powerful set of people. Mm-hmm. I'm looking and at I... this. I'm looking at this page right now, and I, Namor is just in the front going blah, and I'm just like, he was literally not in any of the tie-ins in the series, right? Like, no, I don't. I just... No, he wasn't. As far as I'm aware, no. I mean. It's not like he's not invited, but... (laughs) 
Yes, maybe he is. Oh, wait, a, I mean, oh, maybe there was a canceled Death of Doctor Strange Namor thing that we just didn't know about. And he was supposed <laughs> to be more important. Jail. There, I, I should have gotten to read that. Right after the, the pentagram scene, the next page, like I'm reading on digital right now. It's a lot easier to read. But when you're reading page 18 on a physical copy, that yellow could be really hard to read where they're like the five sources of Supreme Sisters are cannot hold. Like that would be the only time I've ever really like noticed like a color issue that I'm like, holy fuck. Like I can barely read this if you're not like looking at it right. Yeah, I, I have to hard agree here. This was like the most difficult to read thing I've read in a major American comic book in quite some time. I mean, like Vertigo had lots of issues with this as to the Batman who laughs, uh, of which I read <laughs> a lot of. Uh, but the, yeah, this is like the color between the background and the lettering and the word bubble on, on this page for the five sorcerers brain sisters we cannot hold is almost impossible for me to read most likely yeah yeah no i i definitely hard agree on that too like even if they had just made the letters black that would have stood out but mm-hmm. if you have even a little bit of color blindness i'm sure that that would be even worse to try and read so yeah that just oh that blends right in yeah. Luckily, it's that only that like one panel that I really noticed. At yeah, I, I think it, it feels like something where they didn't plan for the future when they were originally choosing the colors for, for these three characters. Mm all the way back in number one. Yeah, fair enough. I agree. Although I do think like going forward, it's just a good idea to not have Creamsicle be your color palette for work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will definitely agree with you on that. What yours? Oh, this is so cool. But I, I love the 20 of digital where the range goes into the void or whatever it is and you've got the color palette that's so similar to what was just going on in Defender. I'm just like holy fuck, yes. I absolutely love this. Yes, this is, this is such a beautiful page of color and between the the astral form of of younger strange and the uh, how would you ex- explain that the physical manifestation of all the magic that the peregrine child has eaten uh it looks like a nebula it looks very specific. yeah yes you nebulate <laughs> yeah it does like um, a nebula or an exploding quasar yeah but yeah. it's it's just absolutely beautiful page i agree mm-hmm. and the opposing page in physical is the the next one with the peregrine child being shocked by magical electricity and that is also a, extremely gorgeous the child looks freaky the lightning looks freaky. <laughs> wait don't all children look like this no <laughs> i can't what i can't babies are you hanging around raven yeah <laughs> oh honey I, I i don't i try not to at least <laughs> <laughs> It's like, well, yeah, no. Was anybody else like genuinely worried when he grabbed the astral form of Doctor Strange? Because I had an oh shit moment. I I was worried, but it seems like it was actually justified Mm because it ends up destroying Shadow Strange that was sent forward from the past. Although that seems to have been the plan all along was uh, self sacrifice in order to uh, destroy the Peregrine Child, and it works Mm -hmm. in like a really cool full pinup page with a giant boo. I loved it. So yeah, they destroyed the peregrine child and zapped the mothers to like three different points in the universe. So now they're like scattered and they can't get back to each other, which is awesome. They got scattered around the multiverse, didn't they? Yeah, I think that's what it was. Across the dimensions. Okay, the dimensions. Which which is basically the same thing when 
comes to Doctor Strange comics. Also, it means we'll probably see them again, which I'm, I'm glad about because I'm very much yes. looking forward to more of that fucking worm lady with the oh, God. laser beam <laughs> of acid. I love her weeping angel head. That's the best thing ever. <laughs> so creepy. <laughs> oh, no. But, like, she doesn't even have hands, so she can't cover her eyes. So, like... oh. <laughs> Don't make me side with Tony Stark with the PTSD. Just, oh, God, it's so creepy. I love the fact that, you know, we got to see a magical ending to a magic book because for half a second I was worried they were going to have a more, you know, physical ending to this. I'm like, thank you for using magic because that's what your book is about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it is nice that we got to see it through the sorcerer's um, actions instead of just the Avengers and the X-Men solve the save the day again. So, yeah, I, I like that a lot. Did anybody else get a little choked? up about chapter 13 like the whole chapter 13 like he's coming back and he's like clea i love you like i should have never been such a jackass to you but i'm gonna fade away i was i was a little annoyed by this because like it makes sense in story but something that always bothers me is the trope of specifically dr strange does this a lot and i really hated when he did in the wade run but like where he's like i love you and i want to be better to you but i won't have a chance to ever be better to you because (laughs) ah sucker i gotta go somewhere and be exiled to another dimension or be dead for a while (laughs) Being like, rather be dead than raise Gohan and hang out with Chi Chi. Bye. I'm like, who's going to be Clea's Piccolo? Like, goddamn. I think that really drives me crazy about Goku. Just like, would would love to be dead rather than be with his family. (laughs) It's true. Oh yeah. Oh, I got I got a little misty eyed because I'm like, oh, he's a slightly better person, and he's not a complete. Wait, what? How am I now liking Doctor Strange? what the shit <laughs> okay i was a little like oh, he's back oh he's not gonna die but clea somehow is gonna still be sorcerer of the prey maybe because he died from it but then he dies at the end and i was like oh no and then i felt really bad that i really like cared for dr strange he was back yeah. long enough to give the mantle to clea and i think that was really nice uh i don't <laughs> think that's how it usually works with sorcerer supreme but i don't care i think this is nice i i did like him saying you have my heart and you always will i thought that was super romantic and i like that in an x way but like he better be calling Taya when he gets back from the dead again. Uh, yeah, Galactus' <laughs> yeah. mom has got it going on. Come on. Mm-hmm. If not, give me her number. I'll call her shit. <laughs> she air quote can't air quote wait. <laughs> <laughs> so many air quotes. Uh... This is this is a instance where I'm kind of mad that I saw the solicits where they announced that Cleo was going to be Sorcerer Supreme because yes. I would have really enjoyed this fake out so much more. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Knowing that Cleo was becoming the Sorcerer Supreme, I'm like, when when I saw Strange get revived, I'm like, oh well, this isn't going to last because he's not going to be there for the follow-up series. So mm-hmm. something obviously is going to happen to turn this back. I'm like, eh, okay, it's not this. It's it's cute. I'm glad that that she got a little bit more closure to the relationship, but not really. She has a goal moving forward, but wish that I had been surprised by it instead. I did not like this ending for logical reasons. 
Clea is the Sorcerer Supreme of the Dark Dimension. Now, Steven has given her the regalia of the Sorcerer Supreme of Earth. Ooh, who's going to be Is the she going to have to... Exactly. Is she going to have to split time between Dark Dimension and Earth? Or does she take over Earth and then she has to relinquish her, her mantle to somebody else in the Dark Dimension? Like, this, it, it only opens up a lot more can of worms yeah. versus yeah. actually closing a door. Ooh, because eventually he's going to come back and reclaim his title so then if she has to relinquish her other title mm -hmm. to be the social supreme of earth then she's not going to set her up to be a stronger character <gasps> mm -hmm. because we know strange can't stay dead no oh, god no right even, yeah. even what we now know about like how important dr strange just existing as sorcerer supreme was throughout mm -hmm. the entire event it seems unlikely to impossible that anybody could do the job two, twice in a row or at the same time so it does seem like i don't i don't know if it's possible but also the, the earth dimension is a pretty pre like it's a heavy traffic to dimension oh. comes right down to it like I, I know the dark dimension does not face the kind of threats on a daily level hey you More know like foot travel than comic like maybe they get a whole lot of threats we just don't cover because we're too human centric i i just i i agree that i don't want to be earth chauvinist here but i do want to say that when all of reality collapsed earth 616 was at the focal point mm -hmm. okay okay yeah 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 you're right <laughs> no i mean i do agree like i don't i don't like the idea of earth being at the center that's why i like it being earth 616 rather than earth one also not a huge fan of the clea doctor strange outfit they really need to do better with uh the fashion because this whole thigh gap bodysuit come on come but, on like oh she looks so good you like you don't like her outfit like that when she's oh when she's it's the her? thigh gap oh skin tight no boot bodysuit like oh oh you're talking about the strain get up i was like the get up in this <laughs> yeah but i see the, hence the reason i was like why are you changing it her outfit in this issue issue is fucking bomb and then so i rolled down good. to the next page of oh yeah cleo's coming back and i'm like what is this shit where's the fashion where's the amazing purple outfit with the horns like yeah yeah i don't Sorry. that i don't love that outfit it very much yeah. looks like strange's old pre-sorcerer stream superhero outfit it uh, looks like uh, Captain marvel yeah color yeah. Okay. yeah it's it's practically miss marvel but with mm -hmm. like legs <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm just like mm, not a fan. Does she know how to use them? Right. <laughs> but oh, I'm like, oh, uh, keep her in this beautiful purple and black outfit. That thing is so amazing. Yeah, I'm uh, not fond of that cover outfit. Although that could just be a variant for the cover. I don't know. But seeing the giant death behind um, shattering, mm. I'm wondering if a part of the series is going to be like every issue focusing on her and her doing Sorcerer Supreme stuff with maybe like a backup, like like in Cable where we saw old Cable in hell doing stuff and maybe we'll see mm. sort of Stephen Strange's uh, dealings with death in the background that thing that's kind of a thing that I think would be fun in the series is there anything that you all are looking forward to in Strange 2022? I want to see more Umar I want to see she's got to be there like hell yeah and uh, like she's still got to keep that classic green tacky 70 outfit like needs that like <laughs> do not take that away I would like to see Clea get some characterization outside of the idea of her being with Stephen Strange because that is oh, often yeah, yeah. the characterization mm -hmm. that we get of her as her in relation to Stephen Strange. Absolutely. I'm so there with you. I do want to get to know Clea a lot better. I've read her a little bit in some of the other stories.
stories surrounding Doctor Strange. So I think it is high time we we really learn about her because you can see the way he adores her. You know, he's 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 always, you know, quick witted and, and quips back and forth. And they always seem to have a really great rapport. So I really want to feel that come through when she's the Sorcerer Supreme. I want her to be different than Stephen Strange, if that makes sense. It does. Yeah, it does. I want to see her kick magical ass. I'd also like to see her take on the reins of Strange Academy a little bit because we did see them close as a result of Steven's death. So maybe she could work with Jericho to reopen the school. Yeah, I don't know if anybody's currently reading Strange Academy. Has it reopened? (laughs) They didn't really address it closing to begin with other than that annual. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just that annual. (laughs) The annual that was listed as Strange Academy presents Death of Doctor Strange. I didn't care for that one. Despite the Mike Del Mundo art that I love, 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 but the story did not hold up to it. Uh, does anybody have anything they want to get off their chest before we're forever done talking about Stephen Strange because he's dead now? Forever? Well, do you prop? <laughs> I was going to say the same kind of thing. I was like, do we really think it's going to be forever though? Like, yep, forever. Give, us, give, give us like next year and they'll have the return of Doctor Strange or Doctor Strange Resurrection and like he'll have to like come out of a magic magic egg and come from the <laughs> magic room or whatever. I don't know. We or find out really that he's actually that a died. It wasn't really, oh, he could be a mutant too. Or <laughs> It wasn't really strange who died. It was, you know, the strange force that took him over. I don't know. However, they're going to resurrect him. Hey everybody, Nico here again. Now, I really enjoy Beta Ray Bill as a character, and this miniseries was so confrontationally interesting and powerful, and I was so excited to discuss it with TK and Kyle. We had an amazing time talking about it, and we hope that this is one that if you passed up on the first time around, you take a look back at, because this is certainly not one to be missed. Hey everybody, welcome back to X's for Podcast, the show where we take a look at comics, mutants, magic, and horse, alien, super being worthy magical creatures, I guess. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. I'm Kyle. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82. That's D-R-A-N-T-I-S-8-2. And I'm TK. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Xnate, X-Gray-X. And, you know, we're here today to talk about a truly remarkable character. Better Ray Bill, Better Ray Bill, however, I'm going to I'm gonna say it back and forth both ways. I'm warning the audience right now. I feel like a British person being like, I say Zed. But, like, you know, I'm, I'm going to say Better Ray Bill and Better Ray Bill pretty interchangeably because as a child I didn't know how to pronounce it. And it's one of those things where now the incorrect pronunciation is built into my brain. It's like before the movies, listening to people try and say Hermione was like having dental work it was just horrible right hermione (laughs) oh god the brutality but we're here to talk about beta ray bill now i think beta ray bill kind of represents such an unusual kind of cross-section of fantasy sci-fi he was created by walt simonson walt simonson who is such a -a one-of-a-kind creator in so many ways and has touched so many different elements of not just marvel and dc but so many different fandoms i myself am a pretty huge alien 
Alien fan, and he has done some gorgeous work on the Alien comics over the last few years, adapting some of the earlier screenplays into fleshed-out comics in a way that fans can only dream of. And back in the pages of Thor 337 in November of 1983, we were given the Corbinites and Beta Ray Bill, who, you know, just android, horseman, worthy. That's a lot of adjectives, and it can be a lot to swallow. Kyle, TK, I'd love to know how you guys feel about Beta Ray Bill, one of the most beloved and odd Thor characters. Uh, <laughs> um... I, I I like him, but I find him really weird. He's a very generally honorable character. And I I really like the interactions that I've seen him with Thor. I am an enormous Beta Ray Bill fan. Nico, if you'll recall yesterday, we were talking about stories that we liked and I named a couple and I said, not because they're good, just because the sense of childish wonder. And Beta Ray Bill is a huge component of that feeling for me me when I was a little kid there was a little comic shop in my town and it was 1993 when Thorcore was coming out <laughs> and I saw Beta Ray Bill on a cover and I was just like immediately what is this creature it like got me so excited because I was starting to learn all about comics and discovering all these things that I'd never seen before, like visual, you know, artistry that I had never seen before. The guy who ran the shop happened to have the Thor issues with Beta Ray Bill's first appearance. So he let me sit and read them. And he became, I'm, I'm still not a very big Thor person, but I'm a huge Beta Ray Bill person. So I think he's really cool. I love his look. It is so strange and yet so obviously recognizable. Everybody in this story we're going to read will call him Horseface. That is an apt descriptor. I go for isolated lone wolf characters on a mission. That's why I love Cable so much. Beta Ray Bill fits the mold. He's really cool. He is a good hearted person. He's worthy and he's just a good boy. And, you know, I'm so glad that we're talking about Beta Ray Bill, and there's a specific reason that I asked this group of men to come together. We're kind of like, you know, generally meatheads, right? Like, that's kind of like, we're kind of like, yo, what's up? Give me a plate. I'm a gym bro. You know what I mean? And that works for us. Right. <laughs> and when you're talking about the world of Hulk or the world of Thor, it is sort of an out jacking each other. No, it is sort <laughs> of um, it is sort of an out pumping. E no, I can get this. We believe it's in you. Out muscle. <laughs> OK. OK, because my next one was it's who can big each other more. <laughs> and I don't think that's better. So. You know, you do wind up in this situation of it. it there is a, a level to which the elements of Hulk and Thor reach territories that are like almost sexualized body horror and um, aesthetized body horror. And at his biggest, most jacked, most, you know, out of control, Thor is still a pretty sexy dude, depending on the hair situation. And I think that's notable, you know, even when they went some really dark places with my precious Amadeus Cho, his Hulk never verged on like scary, freaky body horror Hulk. He was still, you know, like an adorably, he was still pretty Hulk adorable. Now that he's brawn, everything's great. He's, you know, always sexy. He's the hottest Hulk ever. Oh my God. And it's got a fresh cut. 
I genuinely feel like when you're talking about these characters, there is sort of an element of it's as big as you can be, but still very human. Mm -hmm. And Beta Ray Bill is kind of like baby's first body horror into hyper muscleization. And he really is the first time, I think, that Marvel sort of stepped out of that attractiveness factor for Thor. You know, Beast kind of gave people some furry thoughts and then San Diego in the 70s took it and really ran with it and you know everybody got real furry and real jacked for a minute right and I, I want to know how you guys feel sort of about the idea that Beta Ray Bill really kind of represents a transition to a non-human aesthetic for worthy hammer wields. I mean I think you're absolutely right about that I think one of the interesting things is how the body horror of his background has really ramped up over time and it's now culminating in this story that we're going to talk about today in the initial Thor run there is reference to the fact that you know I come from these people the Corbinites I was modified and now I look like this and by the end of that original story we get to see what he looks like and what what a Corbinite looks like so you understand how big the transition is and in subsequent arcs and subsequent appearances it gets described in increasingly more detail and is shown in flashbacks and increasingly more detail and that culminates in this story which gives us quite a lot of detail and it really is a body horror background story where you get that full sense of how awful this was and so there is a sense that his worthiness is earned in a number of ways that are different from Thor and one of them is the sacrifice that he made to become this person that could be a champion for his people and what he went through to do that and so it's not body horror without meaning it has a good deal of significance and is an important part of the character it's not just torture for torture's sake it's something that he had to go through to become what was needed that as an idea going through something to be what's needed is a very thor idea in this case we see it taken to a realm that yes typically thor doesn't do because he's beautiful and he's all about that god life yeah the body horror is it's not my favorite thing <laughs> respect respect no in the audience i got respect like TK said, it is a body horror for a reason. He had to take those steps in order to try to protect his, his people. And he has to live with the consequences, I guess? The nonstop bigness the non-stop of it. The nonstop bigness of it. And, but at the same time, that leads to what we see in this miniseries where people kind of treat him like crap because of the way he looks. Now, I think that's probably the best time for me to remember that I haven't given the credits for this, which is, you know, <laughs> oops. So we're here today to talk about Beta Ray Bill, Argent Star, which was a really one-of-a-kind miniseries released by Marvel during what felt sort of like the lost shipping year of 2021. This series was written and drawn by Daniel Warren Johnson with color by Mike Spicer. Now, the lettering tasks were split between VCs Joe Sabino and the creator of the title, Daniel Warren Johnson. And the first issue had a celebrated number of covers. Now, of course, as Marvel loves to do, issue one, 37 covers, issue everything else. Oh, so whatever. And it definitely 
kind of felt like there was maybe a celebration at the start of this miniseries that fell off and that had nothing to do with the book because I actually thought the book got better and better each issue. I thought that by the end of the fifth issue, I felt like I had read a 30-issue series. There were so many layers and levels. And part of it is, I think the thing we need to discuss right off the bat, Daniel Warren Johnson draws a powerfully ugly book. And I don't mean that insulting. I mean, he draws things that force you to think about the way you feel about aesthetics. Growing up, and it's a little bit harder to say now with a straight face, but growing up, my favorite band was Tool. And those music videos had such an impact on me. And as an adult, I'm like, I could make those in Alice with 45 minutes. You know what I mean? But like at the time, they were the greatest thing that any, I mean, I stayed up till midnight to watch them. Do you know how many times I would be like, I would say to my best friend, Heather, and I would like punch her in the arm and I'd be like, Heather, wake up. It's 1222. We have MTV2 on. They're going to play Schism any minute. Just keep your eyes open. Like, so when I say this is ugly, I don't mean it insulting. I mean it. This is confrontationally aesthetic. And I was mind blown at Marvel's willingness to take a chance on a book that sometimes verged on graffiti art. Like there were places, the lines were mind blowing. How did you guys feel about the aesthetic choices that Daniel Warren Johnson put into this truly one of a kind book? Well, first out, I want to give him a shout out for drawing one of my favorite covers of all time. I forget the exact number, but it's a cable issue from 2017 with young Nate sitting with Scott and Jean looking out into the stars and I think about it every day. It's just so gorgeous. So I love him very much for that alone. In terms of this story, though, which is what we're here to talk about, it makes so much sense for this character to be paired with this art style because we see Beta Ray Bill in a lot of stories with, you know, house style art that's gorgeous, but it's very clean. It is very, I mean, clear and clean are the best words I can use, and they're not really descriptive enough. But this art gives you the opportunity to really delve into the ugliness that Beta Ray Bill feels looking at himself. It is not clean. It is not straightforward. It's messy. It is colorful. It is difficult at times to understand what you're looking at. And if that's not a perfect metaphor for what this character is facing, I don't know what is. Yeah, I agree. This is an incredibly good style to tell a Beta Ray Phil story with, especially this story where he is struggling with his own aesthetics. Seeing the interpretation of all the characters in this style that makes them not their classic Marvel gorgeous looks, that polish yeah that polish especially as their actions kind of put them against bill specifically sif when she looks at him as they were uh about to go to bed together and she's like so are you gonna change and he's like no i can't and she's like and then she kind of gets less pretty at that point it's funny you mentioned that because i went to look at the first panel that she appears in and she also looks really kind of homely there Mm -hmm. like she it's almost a little bit cutesy but it is not sexy goddess lady that is such an important 
part of the deconstruction of this book. Now, this book did something that I really resented Marvel doing. I felt Marvel made a really bad choice, and they disenfranchised a lot of authors this way. I felt that Beta Ray Bill, along with other King in Black launch tie-in kind of the union, both suffered from being treated as kind of a King in Black tie-in, but kind of not. So anybody who looked at the cover of number one, yeah, they saw Fin Fang Foom, but like, if you were reading Marvel Comics at this time, you knew that fucking swirl like you knew that was a king and black thing and everything in marvel was saying kind of king and blackish and i don't no 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 king and blackish is anthony anderson <laughs> so i feel like one of the things that this book did not need was the king and blackifying of the 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 title how did you guys feel about that first you know 12 pages of the 32-page opening issue being dedicated to an event that had nothing to do with it. I wasn't prepared for it. Even when I went back and reread it this weekend, I picked it up and I'm like, wait, I don't remember this being part of King in Black, and, but we're still dealing with this nullified Fin Fang Foom. And I, it just felt really out of place. But at the same time, I guess we needed a jumping board to get him to get bill into the right place if that you know oh yeah like you know especially because we're talking about the fact that what bill just experienced and this is something that i feel like i could have an entire panel on with every single person on this show but one of the things that i don't know that gets talked about enough is everything is an event from the right perspective and nothing is an event from the right perspective just to use a book that i think is like the masterwork of you know marvel of all time new x-men the opening arc is treated you know e is for extinction the death of 16 million mutants is treated as less of an event than the terrorist attack on new york and i do believe that the body count is a whole lot higher on genosha and i'm end of new x-men where magneto once again you know goes insane and puts New York City residents in concentration camps and destroys like most of the city and then it's just never discussed in any other book. And so I think if we're talking about Thor, when Thor's hammer is shattered or when Thor is taken or Thor's hammer is taken from him, everybody gets a new number one. Everybody gets a miniseries. There's six one shots. There's a poster and they release one of those comic short boxes for it. You know what I mean? But when Beta Ray Bill loses his hammer, everybody's like, sorry about it, horse face, go make some jello. And I'm deeply traumatized by that for Bill. And that's one of the things I think this miniseries did right. You know, Kyle, I think your point and your perspective that by having it tie into a big event kind of puts Bill in the right mindset. I almost think it puts us in the right mindset for what Bill is going through, having just been through what really could have been called, you know, storm broken and been a Bill event. Yeah, I mean, it's... There is a charm to sneaking in a tie-in for a relatively minor character to be like, they were there too, they're a part of this. If you are wondering what else goes on in the Marvel Universe during a big event, here's a great example. The problem is the risk that you will alienate readers by having them look at that cover and thinking, oh, this is a 
king and black tie-in and you know one of two things for me it would be oh this is a king and black tie-in i will not be picking it up for others it will be i'm totally into king and black i'm i gotta pick this up and then you know i would unfortunately lose out on the amazing opportunity to read this story that basically has nothing to do with king and black and a king and black enthusiast would read this and think what the fuck this has nothing to do with king and black it's a follow-on to King and Black. It's it's like the postmortem. You've got because yeah. Beta Ray Bill was taking care of Asgard while Thor was missing during King and Black. So having Thor here at the end of of King and Black, coming to save the day at the last minute, and Bill being completely shattered that everybody is practically worshiping Thor the All Father. Yeah, it makes sense why this happens. I'm gonna say something that is going to get me uh, probably poked with a spoon like a badger, right? It's an original sin. And I... Okay, so everybody gets that Beta Ray Bill is a Hemingway character, right? He is a man who is born of war and had to make grand sacrifices of his youth, dissociating him from his mother's love to become the soldier his country needed in the face of an insurmountable legendary obstacle built of fire, right? So like... World War II, he comes home and is damaged by it and as a result is rendered impotent and incapable of sexually performing. So instead, he replaces it with drinking buddies and a false sense of machismo and searches for a phallic object that will reignite his manhood. So this is just an Ernest Hemingway comic, right? Because like that is what just happened, right? Yes, that is that is it. Yep. This is the sun also rises, but instead it's the horseman also rises. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's funny because Bill is not rendered impotent. He is sadly a butterface, but he can perform in every way. He's just hideous to the people that he would want to be with. So there's a kind of spin on that Hemingway story. He's able to do everything. He's, you know, for all that he's been through, he's kind of okay. He's worthy. He had, up until now, he had a hammer. You know, he does well. He has brotherhood in Thor. This is a bad time for him, for sure, and we can get into it. But he remains a pretty much intact character He's just hideous and he can't handle that and the people around him can't handle that. I love that this narrative involved taking Bill from home. That is such an important thing because Asgard sort of, I don't know, uh, we're Disney people in my family and the great movie ride in you know Disney's Hollywood Studios, it had this experience where you could ride into the Wizard of Oz. And while it wasn't truly the same thing as something as immersive that would be made today, right? One of the things it did best was use a sense of color and sound to create the experience as though you were watching the Wizard of Oz as a child. The audience 
audio was not up to snuff with the rest of the attraction's audio, and the colors were not as powerful as some of the colors elsewhere in the attraction. But that was on purpose. They weren't creating the experience of the yellow brick road to life. They were creating the experience of experiencing the Wizard of Oz again. I say this because there's a sense of security that we are offered by certain places that once we see the Emerald City, we feel safe. And as we walk the yellow brick road, we know it's treacherous, but as long as we stick to the path, we're safe. And I think sometimes inside of Asgard, characters don't have an opportunity to grow. But Bill doesn't have a home sanctuary in Asgard. Bill has an adoptive home in Asgard. And I think sometimes when we don't take him out of that situation, we lose that context for a stranger in a strange land. Yeah, I think that's true. So often, Beta Ray Bill stories involve basically everybody saying what a great person he is and how welcome he is in Asgard. And he's Thor's brother. You know, he's got Stormbreaker. He's worthy too. He is their adopted champion. I love that as an addition to the Thor mythos, but after a while, it does start to stagnate on storytelling potential. And so, yes, the idea that we should remove him from the Asgard context, but also not rely too heavily on the Corbinite context either, because that has its own baggage to go with it. Let's take him on an adventure. Let's take him somewhere entirely different and see how he performs and what he gets into is a good beat for a story for him at this point yeah definitely while he is such a big asgard character he really is more alien he doesn't fit in fully with asgard he doesn't fit in on earth he's without a real home because his home's been destroyed by surtur so (laughs) having this kind of adventure for him it's it was a great way to go back and revisit not just his struggles but his past and and his potential futures, to be honest. I love talking about the sort of different facets of Bill that we face throughout this story. Because, you know, like we said, you know, we've talked a little bit about the nullified thing and him being a stranger in a strange land. I think fighting a nullified Fin Fang Foom, so a strange version of a strange character to this narrative, set us off uh, in at least a a decent direction, even if I question some of the, the strategizing behind it. But I think the thing that made this quickly kind of gain that, oh, wow, we're going to see Bill go on a journey of transformation was the addition of Scourge. Now, I'm not a big Scourge fan. You know, he was fine in Ragnarok. Yay, that's Carl Urban or it's a guy named Urban Carl. I don't know. But it was fine. And Scourge shows up in a number of plenty enjoyable Thor runs. I have no relationship with him either way, though. Here, though, by giving Bill kind of a ne'er-do-well drinking buddy, it offered us a chance to continue to, as you've pointed out, continue to see Bill in a, a lovely regard. There was something so Kevin Smith about the, I saw you and you couldn't horse fuck your lady goddess and... I'm here to hold your dong up with this here beer stein. Let's go to hell. And like, that was really 
an element of this. I didn't expect to get huge slice of life vibes in a story that was really about adventuring. How did you guys feel about what Scourge really, his name says it the fuck all. It's not well disguised. He's not like lovely Butterman. And I'm like, no, he's a bad guy. Like his name is Scourge. He makes me laugh just because of how abrasive he can be and how not too socially graceful. It's an interesting pair-up. I found that Scourge joining Beta Ray Bill in this was a great addition. And he he took on the role of guy who's helping to stand up for Bill and push Bill forward when Bill has been struggling to decide on a direction. So it was a great motivation for Bill to have him there. Danny Warren Johnson was smart to use this character who is quite literally the person holding the Chekhov's gun in the story. So from a functional standpoint, he is very important for plot beats. And I wouldn't be surprised if that was the genesis of the character being in the book. What he does really smartly is make something more out of that need to have a character for specific plot moments and give us someone who is doing wingman duty, who is doing, you know, foil duty, who is adding comedy to the story in a way that makes it more fun read. It's contrasted to a character that I imagine you're going to bring up next, which is Pip. I wish I had. I'm gonna. I don't have a choice. Um, oh, come on. Know. In this one, it's good. You know, I. It's sweet. I, I'm going to say my weird problem with Pip. And my weird problem with Pip is kind of my opposite problem with Warbird. And I love Warbird. I think somebody said, we kind of need a badass catch-all Shi'ar. We need a woman who can represent how cool so many Shi'ar fighters are. And they gave us the incredible Avadara Nagadini, which I'm sure I said beautifully. And she appears first in Wolverine and the X-Men. And she would go on to appear throughout the pages of Astonishing X-Men. And there are some really memorable Phil Noto covers of her. She is a, a very amazing character because she represents all of the potential of this foreign idea that's really hard to capture well without overusing. There's more than one fucking magic troll. Stop using Pip. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can't argue with that. I love the role that he plays in this story. It The way that he idolizes Bill and how that plays into his trajectory throughout this is really sweet. It's an important contrast to this joke and sort of deeper problem that Bill is a horse-faced, hideous person. His role is equally important to Scourge's. But setting that aside, I definitely get the idea that, like, this could have been... This absolutely didn't need to be Pip. This could have been another troll. And, you know, honestly, in a lot of ways, it shouldn't have been Pip because Pip's not really like this. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying I wanted it to be Perez Hilton, but there were plenty <laughs> of other trolls to pick. Yeah, for sure. Literally and figuratively, he's a troll. So he probably would not be the person that I would think of to fill this role but the role itself is great in the story
story. So I'm really not familiar at all with Pip. He just came across as a rather pitiable character. I had a hard time really connecting with him and almost until the final issue. I Maybe they could have chosen a different character, but I, I don't know. You're kind of, it kind of sounds to me like perhaps for you, it wouldn't have made a difference either way. Yeah. But you know what character made a giant Corbinite fucking hulked out Thor horseman's worth of difference? Scuttlebutt. Scuttlebutt. That was that was a thing for me because like I think in many ways sentient ships are a hallmark of a certain level of storytelling, right? Like uh, I'm trying to figure out the right way to put it. You you need to be prepared to be like it takes a certain level of emotional intelligence to write a sentient ship, a sentient house. It takes a certain level of understanding of geography as you know stimulus. And I think of characters like Apocalypse and Cable. I think of characters like the Eternals who operate with the machine. I think about these these characters or, you know, uh, the awesome Defenders run that had the Concordance engine. I think about those sorts of things where these things were these living, breathing ideas. And I find myself often forgetting that something like Scuttlebutt exists, you know. But here, I don't know that I'll ever be able to forget Scuttlebutt exists again. She could go away forever. And I don't think I would ever forget that Scuttlebutt exists ever again. Yeah, I mean, I... Got a little concerned when she incarnates midway through the story because that is a bit of a trope. It's something we have seen in Marvel a bunch. And I was prepared. And at this point, I shouldn't have been because it's a chunk of the way through the story. And the story's very good consistently throughout. But it was a trope that I wasn't sure the story needed. And again, you know, like the plot device that is Scourge, this served function for storytelling. But then the flourishes and the characterizations are what make it such a joy to read and make it in a lot of ways heartbreaking. Yeah, heartbreaking indeed. I really enjoyed us getting a avatar of Scuttlebutt. Actually seeing her appear in as they're crossing the, the threshold of, of Muspelheim was an excellent, excellent a series of panels. What really punched me in the gut was Bill's reaction upon seeing her. The way that I interpreted it, it was very similar to every, all the other characters characters reactions to seeing him and yeah yeah there was like a there, there was a weird beat to it not a bad beat it was, it was like a weird beat to it he was doing the same thing that he's been complaining about other people doing to him that's how i felt it came across as and it kind of put a damper on the story a little bit for me and there's a sort of sense of bound and rebound throughout this title that really becomes clear, I think, in the, I, I don't know how else to put it, um, Saddled Barman of Odin. <laughs> And um, saddled barman, like this this PBR chugging bastard over here is a little more than, you know, he's just a different kind of MAGA. He's make Asgard great again. And it's weird because, you know, he's like, oh, boy, look at me. I'm so broken. I'm a barback. 
I'm a bar back at a bar. And I'm like, number one, the job is not the man. And you could be a great bar back and you should be very proud of yourself. Number one, Odin. Number two, this interpretation of Odin was a very heavy note. And that's one of the reasons I keep saying this book was so ugly and confrontational and uh, hard to take because this book was intentionally emotionally challenging. And we've seen Odin laid low before. We've seen Odin be kind of, you know, dotty and old and unsure if he should have his jacket it on or off at the town hall but i think one of the things that we see here is an odin that doesn't know who he wants to be and i wonder if that's reflective of an era of thor that's really not sure what it needs to be this era of thor is born of thor movies and a great thor run after a number of terrific thor runs with some maybe misses in there too sure don't get me wrong but thor is in a really good place but it either needs to house of and transform or it needs to make a decision to amazing spider-man and always the same how do you guys feel about odin's impact on the narrative that beta ray bill goes through in the course of the story i mean it makes sense because odin is such a key part of beta ray bill's mythos and he holds the answers to what do I do about Stormbreaker? If I don't have Stormbreaker, I can't turn back into my Corbinite self that isn't hideous and I'll never have sex. So, you know, again, he's he is important for the plot. They've got to go to the guy who knows what's up. The fact that they go to this guy, that this is the Odin we encounter, it's fun it's stupid his muscles do be looking good i don't know that it gives us anything to sort of hold on to about odin that we might take into future thor stories i think this will probably be one of those things that in the future none of your friends know happened and you're like yeah he was like uh, a bar back who was brewing his own beer and they'll be like that's insane that never happened and then you'll show them this panel and they'll be shocked We'll all look fondly back on the time where he looked like Tom Austin training. I agree. <laughs> exactly. It's funny. It's fine. I get the decision to do something pulling Odin out, out of his element in this story that's pulling a lot of things out of their element. But in terms of that Thor being kind of a crossroads thing, I don't know that this is going to ever factor into that, the direction of Thor and of Odin in a way that's meaningful. Yeah, this kind of feels out of place for for Odin. I, I get that they're, they decided to have him be way out of the way so that... He he's not influencing Thor. It just doesn't seem like there's anything that would actually move his character arc forward from here. I love that we're all kind of like Odin, whatever. <laughs> King of the gods. All right. Yeah, well, sure. um, I mean, we're not like that, but the story is very much like that. The fact that this is Odin means nothing except for the fact that from Beta Ray Bill's story perspective, that's the person that knows how to remedy the Stormbreaker situation. Odin? More like, oh, don't you keep whining about it. Right? <laughs> so now there's really only one major story beat that's left to be examined. And it's kind of a fascinating one because I am, number one, nomenclature is dicks. And I am so fucking tired of needing to have some sort of enterprise level super cell phone mega tricorder because I've reached a point where I never know what anyone's talking about. I hear Twilight Blade, Twilight Sword, Twilight Magic. Mm. But what I do know is the ultimate payoff of this story 
is really where my my interpretation that each one of these issues could have been an arc kind of came into play because it was the first time I felt shortchanged. The battle between Bill and Surtur ultimately feels like a nice moment that didn't get celebrated the way it deserved to. The defeat is quick. It is a smiting be he smoted until they are both smotten. And that's terrific. But from the moment he pulls the sword to, ah, great defeat. You are now the real horseman. Go get less big and fuck your girl. I don't know. But like there was something so and it, there was, you know what? I kind of expected strong bad to come in and go, it's over. And he didn't. So my question to you guys is, how did you feel about the Surter battle? Did you guys find it certainly exciting or were you like, Surter, this joke is bad? It was, it was, <laughs> it was definitely rushed. I enjoyed the uh, transformation of Scuttlebutt, Scuttlebutt into a ginormous gun. The fact that Beta Ray Bill practically skewered Surter and then Surter was like, yeah, forget that this i'm gonna go back to my original size and destroy you that was a little annoying yeah the problem is the story doesn't know if it wants to be you know the epic tale of how beta ray bill got his groove back or if it's the real twilight sword was the friends we made along the way it's trying to kind of have it all and that actually is working for a lot of the time but when we get to this point to the final battle and then to the denouement it's I think we maybe either needed one more issue or we needed a sort of an extra, maybe even two pages to explain that this didn't really mean anything. The important stuff is, you know, that we got incarnated Scuttlebutt and there's absolutely something between her and Bill, which is happening as soon as she incarnates and then is just really not referenced as we get to the end. It didn't know what it wanted to be from the start of the final battle until the end of the series. And as such, it didn't really manage to hit any particular beat of finality to give us a sort of satisfying ending for the story. I do hear what you're saying. We could have called this story how a bill becomes a law. And yet at the end, it felt almost like a passing ordinance because it was as though the journey, the, the become human fell by the wayside of how much this team developed over the course of the narrative. These characters, like I would read this as Asgardians of the Galaxy. Yes. I, I enjoyed this a lot. I liked Scourge and Pip mm -hmm. and Scuttlebutt. I'd probably add Angela because I would add Angela to anything. I think she's a great fit in any book. You know, anytime you're talking about the sister of Thor, you're talking about my kind of shit. You know what yes, I mean? Yes, also so, yes. So, like, you're in, because I like the idea of yonifying the, and not, yeah, I don't mean like boringifying, I mean like yonic, right? Like, uh, I mean like the idea of feminizing the Thor mythos and more than just putting a woman in the helm, as much as everybody knows Jane Foster's turn as Thor is like my favorite turn as Thor. I think there's other places that the mythos needs to be explored with feminine ideals that can exist within their own feminine structures that don't need to be retrofitted to male paradigms 
paradigms and ideals, right? So I do think that that might be one major thing this story was missing for me. Because for all of the ways that this book was very openly vulnerable, you know, Bill doesn't say, I want to be a motherfucker who can nail a bitch in bed. Like there is no white guy rapping awkwardly that comes on at my gym about his about what he says. He says, I want to be beautiful. And like that is so vulnerable and honest and very queer. Again, we could have replaced Pip with a woman. And in some ways that that would have been a I was really- like, um, Peppa. Peppa Peppa Pip. Peppa Pip. That's Pip. his sister. Yeah. Um she's got sideways face. <laughs> but you know, the characterization of idolizing Bill and sort of seeing such a hero in him that his appearance doesn't matter at all and he makes you believe in yourself just by being the great and worthy person that it is and you see see him with no concern for his appearance that's a great beat period pip didn't need to be the person doing it and a woman like a young rookie asgardian warrior seeing him that way probably would have been a lot more satisfying and probably could have led to some quality moments between Scuttlebutt and that character that gave us some, you know, not just extra female presence, but interaction that didn't, wouldn't have to be about who's in love with Beta Ray Bill the most. Hey everybody, Nico here one last time. Now it's my honor to introduce my guys to talk about a Marvel Infinity comic that, you know, I feel like is so necessary. I'm really excited that Marvel is taking the opportunity to explore other holidays. It can't all be Christmas each year. And with Infinity Comics giving us an opportunity to explore these holidays in sort of a real-time, immediate accessibility form with top-tier talent on these books, it has been such a pleasure. And I could not be happier than to continue our coverage of Marvel Infinity Comics with year of the wong as always we love making the show for you three times a week every week magic mondays x-men x wednesdays and marvel fanfare fridays but until then guys enjoy this last segment keep those mutant lights lit those krakoan gateways open don't forget you can check me out on twitter and instagram at nico action that's n-i-c-o-a-c-t-i-o-n and we'll see ya Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another segment of X's Podcast, a show where we cover Marvel's magic mutants and lion dancers over here on the internet. My name is Jonah, and you can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. That's P-E-A-K. And today I have with me... The fabulous Kevo. You can find me over on the socials at Kevo Reilly, K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y. And I am delighted to be here. This is a fantastic piece that we're going to be discussing today. Absolutely. And we hope you survive this experience. Unlike this emissary of Dormammu that kind of got his ass handed to him good and that must mean we're covering mighty marvel's holiday special year of the wong written by amy chu art by ej sue colors by antonio fabella and letters by vcs joe sabino now before we get into this wonderful infinity comic kevo what is your lunar sign why didn't you tell me to look that up before the show 1985 <laughs> ox Re- really that came up real quick thanks google 
I am also the year of the ox. Stop. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. We're on opposite cycles then, or however that's described. That's so cute. Ah! Yes. So this Infinity comic is a wonderful little love letter to talk about the Lunar New Year celebrated by a multitude of Asian communities. And Kevo, I want to get into this. What did you feel about this Infinity comic overall, comparative to any other Infinity comics that you've read before? First and foremost, I really want to say that I adored the art on this. The colors are gorgeous. As a color artist myself, I can't stop looking at this. They are so beautiful and lush. The line art, it was really beautiful in the first place. But then everything about the story, too. It's just a fantastic holiday special. I think it tells a really fun story that ties into the culture it's depicting. It walks you through the beats of the holiday itself in a really lovely way that is such a perfect... You know, I love holiday specials. I have a whole list of Christmas Christmas specials that I make uh, my boys watch every year. I have one for Valentine's Day even that I don't really force on people as much. So I love holiday specials. And this one is really, really perfectly capturing everything that makes a good holiday special. Absolutely. And what I love about this is it's celebrating this holiday that's been in my own personal cultural vernacular. I grew up with many Asian friends. I grew up tangential to different Asian communities. But it's a holiday that I will say we as white people... don't think always understand the nuances and importance that it is in these Asian communities. So getting to read this and getting to be a part of it and seeing the, you know, cultural significance it holds is really something special. One thing I want to talk about to echo what you were saying, Kevo, is the colors. One of my favorite things about this is the design of the neon, but this like very like dark green contrasted with this orange is an absolutely beautiful color. And I love that the mane, this mane of fire uses the swirls and the way that fire is drawn traditionally, you'll see in a lot of Asian media that I really appreciate and enjoy about what they were able to bring for this comic. And what I think I really appreciate most about this is that this comic doesn't really, it kind of doesn't skip any beats. It really is just, they fight the Nian, they take care of the Nian, and then they just get to celebrate. And I actually really like that. I like that it isn't this drawn out fight. It's not, doesn't take a long time to defeat the Nian. It is really just something special that it's quick and to the point of, we had a little villain, sure, but this is much more about the holiday and seeing how they get to celebrate. And that is the point of good holiday specials. It shouldn't take forever to defeat the evil because it's not supposed to be about that. It's supposed to be about celebrating when you do overcome adversity. So the fact that there is so much more focus on people coming together and celebrating and discussing their traditions and their culture, that's what a special like this is supposed to be about. And I love that it's about a community coming together. Something that I've talked on the show about for, I believe both on here, but definitely over on Husbands Talking More or Less when we've discussed Marvel properties, specifically in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, is something I feel is missing from that whole world right now, is what happens in this issue when the community comes together to stand behind Wong and help fight the Nyan. And that's really something that you used to see a lot more in superhero movies Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man films, there's definitely a very involved sequence of construction workers moving construction equipment all across Midtown to assist Spider-Man. And I think in the first Toby one, is that the one where they're throwing garbage at Green Goblin or something? Like, that's... Uh, I think uh, the the second one where all New York 
Mark's like, you're going to have to get through us. Yeah, like, and there's so many in all of these different older films, and I, I don't feel you see it as much in Marvel movies anymore, and it's a real shame, because, you know, for one thing, people are ornery, and human beings are just looking for a fight, so you really can't convince me that at least a couple of dumbasses weren't going to jump into the fray during the Avengers Battle of 2012 and try to fight the Chitauri. So seeing these people, like, throwing garbage at this monster is so much more human and it's a really great way to bring the community into this fight to tie it into the story of this holiday oh 100 percent. and i hear what you're saying what i love about at least the media of comic for any kind of superhero title or just in general for comics is that they get to do a lot more of this supplemental work to help with their world building to help with their community building something i love about the characters like spider-man and america chavez is that they care about their community so much and their love mm-hmm. and respect for where they grew up and where they want to protect is so integral to their identity wong didn't grow up in chinatown from what i understand and that's fine but it's still a community that he's a part of and wants to be there and him having him be the center hero for this i was really appreciative of thought it was really funny that dr strange was busy <laughs> training because he's sticking to his new year's resolution which is something else that I love that comics can do so much more easily than Marvel films, at least at the start. We're seeing it a lot more now that the Marvel Cinematic Universe is like 14 years old, but you can have Doctor Strange pop in for a little bit at the beginning and then just be at the end. You can have Shang-Chi show up at the end and just be there for dinner because you don't need to worry about actors. And that's another reason that it's so much easier in comics to have the community jump in because you're not paying a whole bunch of random extras to say these lines and throw this garbage. But, you know, that's that's the beauty of comics, that you can have all of this intersection. And that's the thing about, even though Wong didn't grow up in Chinatown necessarily, Manhattan and New York City are such large yet small protectorates that you really should see heroes crossing over into each other's territories more. Like, Hell's Kitchen is the size of a postage stamp. The New York sewer system is humongous. <laughs> there are many civilizations running around down there. Huge crossovers. Huge crossovers. don't know if people who didn't grow up near New York or aren't native New Yorkers don't understand is that when people talk about New York, they uh, often talk about how rude people are in New York and how, like, cold and whatever. The answer to that is mostly yes. People might get annoyed if you're standing in their way when they're trying to get to work because New York is the city that never sleeps. People are constantly busy trying to get somewhere and they do get annoyed if you stand in their way. But there's something about New Yorkers where if you are in their clique and you are respectful of their world and what that represents, it's a really, it's a lot of tight-knit communities that often do come together to help one another. I kind of get what you're saying saying i feel like new york city is a little bit of everything in a way that people don't give it enough credit for and you know you do have your rude bastards but you also have you know really wonderful people like the ones that are portrayed in this story and i think on the whole as far as global perspective new york has a lot worse of a reputation and a lot more specific one attitude than i think is fair to paint 
the entire city with. It's such a weird city. The fact that Staten Island is technically part of New York City is incorrect. That just <laughs> makes no sense. But that's this weird city. Like, how is Queens part of the same place as fucking Brooklyn? Harlem. Like, something I'm writing, I'm sitting in New York City right now. So I've just been like staring at maps of New York City for hours and hours, just contemplating it and thinking about like just Midtown itself for how small it is, is so much going on. And yet you could walk right across that city in like 20 minutes sometimes. Like, not the like, the up and down i'm talking like you know oh that's the other thing people like don't i don't know if people who've never like actually looked at a map of new york city proper manhattan is what the borough that many people think of for new york city rightfully so many some would say is a very tiny island it is not big at all it it is much smaller than i think people realize Which is Um, why this sort of crossover, I'm like, yeah, no, that makes total sense. I feel like I have seen outsider perspective frequently be like, what would he even be doing there? Like, what do you mean, what would he be doing there? It's like two minutes away. He's literally three blocks away. (laughs) It's ridiculous. And, you know, for some people I know I've also seen, they feel that crossover can be overdone and it's too much. But especially when you have your New York City heroes, like, it would make less sense for me if other people didn't just pop over. So I love Shang-Chi making an appearance. I think that's absolutely great. I would have loved to, like, even though his role here is very minor and he's coming in at the tail end of the issue, not only was it really appreciative to show another Asian American hero that's in the comics right now that's at the forefront, I think, of people's minds due to the recent success of the movie, I would have loved to have seen his siblings. I thought would have been really cute to help even tie in more. I feel like I don't know a lot about his siblings, but I feel like that would have been a much more complicated story. Would it not? Yes and no. I This is just wishful thinking because I really like his siblings. That's so this is Jonah asking like, hey, can we maybe draw his siblings in next time? But Yeah, and you know what? Next time, I would love to see something like this again. Maybe next time he can take a more prominent role in this special. That would be great. Before we finish out, the Year of the Tiger for the Lunar New Year represents courage and bravery and symbolizes resilience and strength even in times of struggle and this comic as a whole and the theme of what it's showcasing really exemplifies those ideals because i think everybody from the street performers to the people watching the parade to wong showcase this idea of courage and they're not going to back down this is their holiday you messed with the wrong parade yeah this is their home and they are not going to be so easily pushed around Absolutely. I loved when the uh, elderly woman said, Aya, I grew up watching Jackie Chan Adventures. It was one of my favorite cartoons. <laughs> and it, and like, it just brings back beautiful memories. Yeah, it's the little touches like that. It was really the delicate touches that made this so special. The way that they, you know, just casually talked about what the different foods represent. And I loved, I loved Auntie mentioning how red is a good luck color when talking about Doctor Strange's cape. Oh, not only that, I love that his cape is playing Mahjong. I don't know how it eats, but that's none of my business. No, that's none of any of our businesses. We, it's not polite to ask. 